We'll now have the Bible reading, and Anne-Marie is going to bring the word from Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 to 43, and then Les will bring our book. Okay, readings from Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought if I just touch his clothes I will be healed immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering at once Jesus Jesus realized that power had gone out from him he turned around in the crowd and asked who touched my clothes you see the people crowding against you these disciples answered and yet you ask who touched me But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old, and at this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Good morning, everybody. Um, Let me add my welcome to Jones, and especially if you're someone that's here for the first time. Um, My name's Les. Uh, I'm um, the assistant to Paul here, our minister, and he's, um, like Joan mentioned, away uh, this week. So if you do need anything um, through the week, then you can call me. I'm probably not as helpful as Paul is, but... Um, my number's on the front of this sheet and uh, there's also our elders that you can contact through this week. Please pray for Paul. Um, he's on a minister's renewal retreat so um, as someone that, that pastors us and leads us, it's important that he gets input as well so please pray for him uh, over this week. Um, just to, while I'm kind of before I launch into this on a few other housekeeping things, there's a heap of um, lost property at the moment um, so it's laid out on some tables at, at, at morning tea time and 
it's coming to the end of winter where we've had jumpers on and just left them behind. So have a look through that and see if any of it's yours. And um, you'll also notice this morning there a sign went up on the gates, just no parking in the driveway. Uh, we don't like lots of signs that tell us not to do things. It's not a very welcoming thing. But that one's important just in case we ever need quick access. I don't know. God forbid that we need to get an ambulance in here or something like that. But that's why that's there. So please, um, yeah, just refrain from parking in the driveway. No one needs to sneak out and move their car now. Good. Okay. <laughs> that's very good. So um, just to remind us of what we've been doing, we've been... Uh, preaching through Mark's gospel. This isn't just a one-off talk this morning, but we've been uh, talking through it each week. We've been studying it in our gospel community groups, and we're up to this section now. Last time that we um, heard from Mark's gospel was two weeks ago when we talked about the parable of the sower, just to get that in your mind, because it's, it's important to remember where we've been. Uh, this is not something that comes up in isolation, but Jesus uh, challenged his disciples that there's many ways that people will respond to the word of God, but he encouraged his, his followers to be good soil where the word would, would take root and it would produce fruit. And not only did he say that, Paul showed us how that's only possible because of Jesus' death for us and because when, when he gives his life for us and offers us forgiveness, then he creates in us a clean heart where his word will grow. Um, on that, uh, what we're going to look at today is actually different to where the studies are up to. So this week you're not going to study the same passage that I've, um, I'm going to speak about this morning. You're actually going to go to the next bit and through that we'll kind of cover even more of Mark's gospel and get through it quickly. But back to thinking about having good soil, let's pray now that as we consider God's word that he would grow us through it and, and speak to our hearts. A loving Father, we give you great thanks and praise for this, the opportunity to be here, the opportunity to sit under your word. I pray that as I speak through it this morning that I might speak clearly and what, uh, what I say would be helpful to us, helpful and challenging and Lord that it would produce fruit in, my, in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of the most amazing things I remember seeing as a, as a child was the thing that flashed up on the screen before. This is called the globe of death. The globe of death. And um, if you look on YouTube, you can see why it's called the globe of death. If you search for globe of death fails, you'll see why it's called the globe of death. I first saw it at one of the circuses uh, in Ballina. Mum doesn't remember, but she took me to it. And then, actually, a few years later, I remember seeing it at a concert, and it was really cool at the concert because you could get up really, really close to it. And what it is is it's a big metal um, meshed cage ball, and two or three or four guys get in it and ride motorbikes around and around and around and around in loops until, I don't know, they get too dizzy to keep going. And they somehow get in a in a synchronisation where they can go up and down and up and round and round and round without hitting. Has anyone actually witnessed this? In real? Yeah, okay, you know what I'm talking about. It's an amazing thing to see. Uh, the circus or any kind of those um, stunts are always pretty, you know, they can leave you pretty awestruck how 
can somebody do that? How can they do that? But I, for me, that was a big one when I was, um, when I was a kid. Now, as I've been preparing for, uh, to look at this passage today and to speak about it, I've been reading it and studying it. And in this section of Mark's Gospel, what's overwhelming is Jesus' power. It's, it's amazing. It's more amazing than a bunch of hoons in a metal cage. He does some incredible stuff, not just in what we've read today, but in, in a couple of things that come before it. There's a sense in which what Mark's teaching us here is that Jesus is powerful. And it makes sense. It makes sense that Jesus, Mark would want to show us how powerful Jesus is. Because Mark's told us that Jesus is the king and that Jesus has come to proclaim his kingdom. If you think right back to the very first chapter of Mark, he begins by saying this. Jesus speaks and he says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so in the parts that um, Anne-Marie read for us today and uh, a couple of things that happened just before it, we actually see the king of this kingdom in action. We see him ruling over the creation. You see, just before this section, Jesus is out on a boat with his disciples and he falls asleep on the boat and a storm comes and what happens? They all freak out and Jesus they wake Jesus and they say, Jesus, why are, you, how, why are you sleeping? And he just stands, rebukes the storm, and it calms. People would pay money to see that. Could you get that at the circus? It's amazing. What about what happens next? They go across the lake again and there's a man that's not just got a demon in him, but he's got a whole group of demons in him. And with one command, Jesus drives the demons out. And in our passage this morning, when we see that he heals a woman, not just of something that's gone wrong, but of something she's been suffering with for 12 years. And then finally, Jesus, we're going to see, brings a child back to life. See, Jesus' power is big. And it's obvious and it's public. He's doing this in front of crowds of people for most parts. See, Mark's already told us about a few times that Jesus has done some miracles. But here Mark is being very specific. And every miracle that Jesus does, he does it effortlessly with the command that only comes from someone who's the creator king. And yet... The more that I studied these passages, I realised something. And what I want us to see today is not to overlook that power, not to forget about it, but to actually see that Mark is trying to teach us something about how we respond to Jesus. See, it's easy to be awestruck by Jesus, and heaps of people were. You read through there, and crowds and crowds of people followed him. But when it was turned back onto them... The question of will they actually follow him, will they devote their life to him, the crowds dispersed. Even the disciples scurried away when the push came to the shove. 
to like as a 12-year-old looking at motorcycles and just being awestruck by it. We can have that reaction to Jesus. And it's especially easy for us when we're Christian with our bias towards him to just kind of, yeah, and we know Jesus is powerful. We've heard that before. Just as it's easy for people to kind of dismiss Jesus on that. That sounds impossible. I can't believe in that. But Mark puts this pretty unlikely story right here, I reckon, to show us something more. He's not trying to prove that Jesus is the creator God. What he's talking about is faith. And that's what we're going to consider today. What is faith? Now, Jones Dictionary um, answers were pretty helpful. But the way that I like to explain it in my scripture classes at school is use one of the classroom chairs. Now, I've only broken one chair doing this, um, and it's not how you think. Um, But this is what I say to my kids at school. I stand next to the chair, and I say to them, do I have faith in the chair? And they kind of look at me and say, that's a stupid question, sir. But No, they don't say that. They, but they look at me and they kind of like go, uh, what's he talking about? And someone says, yeah, you've got faith in the chair. It's just a chair. And others say, uh, no. And they eventually work out that so long as I'm standing next to the chair, I don't have my faith in the chair. Okay? I believe that it's strong enough. Intellectually, I can, you know, not that it's a hard problem to solve, but I can work out that that chair is strong enough that if I want to stand on it, jump around on it, Uh, that's not how I broke the chair either, that it will hold me off the ground. But faith, what faith actually looks like is actually when I get up and stand on the chair. See, my faith is not in the chair until I stand on it. No matter how much I believe it can do for me, no matter what I believe about it, I only have faith when I'm standing on it. And then this is the real key question. I ask them, what's keeping me off the ground? Think about that. If I'm standing up on the chair, and that means that I've got my faith in it, what's keeping me off the ground? The chair. The chair is keeping me off the ground. And it doesn't matter if I'm cowering there, freaking out that the chair's about to give way underneath me, or if I'm jumping up and down on it confidently, I'm going to be kept off the ground by the chair. See, faith is not about how much we believe. And we're going to see that in this passage. We see that in the other passages as well. It's about the object that we believe in. So we're going to see that our faith in Jesus is good faith because it's in Jesus. And so we meet Jairus at the start of what was read for us. If you've got your Bible open, it's chapter 21. Actually, I'll put it back up there for you. And what do we know about him? Well, this guy's important. He's a prominent Jew. He's a synagogue leader. So we don't often hear about synagogue leaders. We often hear about the priests or the teachers of the law or the Pharisees. He's not one of those guys. Okay, He's kind of ranked underneath those guys, but he's still a well-known well-respected man, we can assume. And how does he come to Jesus? He comes desperate. How do we know that he's desperate? Well, he doesn't come like the Pharisees often would with some kind of puzzle or some big philosophical question. He comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. 
He's not interested in trying to understand what's going on. He's desperate to get help. His 12-year-old daughter is dying. He's, she's literally on her deathbed. Can you f- imagine the despair of a situation like that? Your 12-year-old daughter is hopelessly dying, lying on her deathbed. I know that a number of us have been in a situation recently, in the last 12 months, where we've been alongside people actually on their deathbed. And even when we're alongside 70 and 80-year-olds who are on their deathbed, there's something so unnatural about that. Even when we've watched people suffer and we know that in death they will have some release from that suffering. Even when we've watched people that are believers on their deathbed and we're confident that what lies beyond them is peace and life with Jesus, it still feels so wrong. So imagine Jairus' situation. And the other thing to realise is just because of his status, it doesn't mean that he's spared of his tragedy. There's nothing that actually helps us to escape this reality when it comes. He's desperate and hopeless and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. Just put your hands on her, Jesus, is what he pleads. He's put his faith in Jesus. He's confident of Jesus. We don't know how confident he is. It might be his last ditched effort. He might know a lot about Jesus or a little. But what has he done? He's gone to Jesus in faith. What do we see Jesus do? Jesus goes with him. Now, we've kind of glossed over the fact that there's a massive crowd around while this is happening. Mark has told us that when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples and he calmed the storm, that there was actually other boats out there watching that whole thing go on. It was just his disciples on his boat. But if you look there, there's heaps of boats around. So maybe as he's pulled up, maybe as he's pulled up into where they are now, other boats have pulled up and and are, are talking about what happened out on the lake, what happened out on the water. The word is starting to spread about his power. People are awestruck, like we said before, about Jesus. And the crowds, they're not really displaying faith, but they're back where we were talking about before. They're amazed at Jesus and kind of curious, I reckon, as to what Jesus is going to do next. And yet, amongst this crowd, we learn that there's a woman here, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, a woman who is also, like Jairus, desperate. It tells us, Mark tells us that she's tried everything. She spent all her money seeing doctors, trying to get this problem dealt with. A woman who's gone from bad to worse is what Mark tells us. She's tried everything, and for everything that she's tried, she's only got worse. And if we understand this in the context, as we should, this would mean for this woman that she's considered unclean, that she's considered outcast from society she for that reason doesn't actually believe 
that she could go and ask Jesus to touch her and heal her. For Jesus to do that, that would make him unclean and that's not allowed in the, in the culture and not allowed in uh, the Jewish religion. But she thinks this up. She thinks, well, I trust him and if only I can touch his clothes, I can be healed. She's desperate and it kind of seems like a bit of a last-ditched effort. But as I've already said, faith is not measured by how deep it is, but by the object that it's put in. And so what do we learn about this woman? It says in verse 29, immediately, straight away, she could feel it in her body. She knew it. She knew that she'd just been healed. And Jesus knows it too. Who touched my clothes, Jesus says. Now that seems like such a ridiculous question because he was pressed around from every side by this massive crowd. Who isn't touching your clothes, Jesus? Come on. And yet Jesus insists. Now her desperation, which we can assume turned to joy, has now turned to fear. And she too falls at Jesus' feet. For the second time in this crowd, we've got someone lying at Jesus' feet. Her fear is short-lived. Jesus doesn't question her over her bold move. Jesus recognises that at the heart of what she's done is faith. He sees it for what it is, faith. And she gets even more than healing. This affirms that her faith has healed her, but Jesus says, go in peace. He doesn't just send her off healed, but the real prize to be gained from Jesus is peace. It's peace with God. As someone who was unclean, she would have spent her last 12 years unable to practice her faith in God, unable to practice her religion, no access to the synagogue, forced to the edge of town. And yet in that instance, she has assurance of relationship with God. But what about Jairus' daughter? Mark's kind of just thrown this story in there. And remember, we've got, we've got to remember what Jesus was doing. He was off to try and heal this little girl. Kind of makes us ask the question, has Jesus' time spent with this woman come at the expense of the little girl he was going to heal? And the reports come back to Jairus. Sorry, Jairus, it's too late. Now, I think that we can understand from this, I think the right way to read this is, is to realise that the people from Jairus' house didn't have a lot of confidence in Jesus. They didn't really believe that Jesus would kind of be able to do anything. They probably mocked Jairus a little bit. What are you wasting your time going off there for? I think that's the right way to understand it. And so they come and find Jairus and almost dismissively they say this to him, don't bother the teacher anymore. We've already started the funeral. Come back with us. And Jairus is caught in a situation where he's got in front of him Jesus who's promised to come and heal the girl or people that are challenging him to just give up on that hope and Jesus encourages him 
in his faith. Don't be afraid, Jesus said. Just believe. And so Mark tells us that Jairus, Jesus, and a few of his disciples part from the crowd and they get to the scene where this little girl is lying dead. The house is full of commotion. There's wailing, there's tears, and really that's the right response. It's, it's apparent, an apparently hopeless situation. And yet Jesus comes in there so confident that he declares there's no need for that. Imagine the predicament Jairus was in. As Jesus declares that she's only asleep, those there that were mourning turn into people that begin mocking. They laugh at Jesus for what he says. Jairus, who was laying prostrate in front of Jesus in faith, would have now been having all kinds of questions, all kinds of doubts. That Jesus' words back at the crowd are still ringing in their ears. Don't be afraid, just believe. And so in belief, in faith, he and his wife take Jesus and his disciples into where the little girl is and take Jesus up to this lifeless corpse lying on the bed. Now, unlike the bleeding woman, the little dead girl can't reach out and touch Jesus. But instead, it tells us that Jesus took her by the hand and instantly life is back in this little girl. From death, he invites her to get up. Immediately, she's up. She's walking around. It's time to have some lunch for her. It's remarkable. In that instant, Jesus brings life back into this little girl. So like I said before, it's so clear from this part of the gospel that Jesus is the God-man, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, fully man and fully God. We see that he's the king of this kingdom that he's talking about. We see his power, power over nature, power over demons and evil, power to heal and even power to reverse death. He's not just powerful, he's good. When the natural world is not as it ought to be, he calms it. When evil plagues and torments the man that's got the demons in him, he drives it away. When illness threatens health, he restores it completely and instantly. And when that most unnatural thing, death, confronts him, he mocks it and says she's only asleep. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is good. And I can show you how, here how true those things are. Intellectually, we can understand that and see that. But the challenge that comes from these verses is not just to accept a set of truths about who Jesus is. The challenge here is to have faith in him. See, way back after Jesus calmed the storm, he said to his disciples, where's your faith? At the beginning of chapter 6, the bit that comes right after this, we see Jesus goes to Nazareth. And that, if you know, was the town that he grew up in. And we don't really hear as much detail about what miracles or teaching he was doing there. But 
we see that he just leaves from there because the people that he's working with, talking to, lack faith. They don't have faith. See, Jesus can invoke in us all kinds of wonder and, and, and awe at, at who he is, all kinds of amazement. And even when we look at the gospel and try to understand it intellectually, that Jesus is God's son given to us, put on the cross in our place, it can amaze us. It is amazing grace. And we can think, gee, that's a huge sacrifice. But that's not the key response. That's not the same as when we come humbly in faith and take hold of what Jesus offers to us. Take hold of who Jesus is for us. Laying at Jesus' feet. In fact, that kind of response doesn't even need complete understanding. You might be someone that comes here often and kind of sees yourself as not really understanding everything that's spoken from in the Bible. When you get in a Bible study situation, you kind of think, oh, well, you know, that guy over there, he seems to get it all worked out. Maybe I need to work really hard at trying to understand my Bible better. And look, that's a great thing to do. But it doesn't require complete understanding. See, the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, is such a strong and good and loving Saviour that no matter how much faith in him we have he is faithful see we have faith in Jesus to forgive we have faith that Jesus gives life and this faith is be possible because Jesus died and beat death this is the good soil this is the heart that is willing to believe if our faith in Jesus is big that's fantastic and has got everything worked out, that's great. Maybe our faith is more like a mustard seed, like Jesus spoke about. But it doesn't matter what it starts out as because the object of our faith, Jesus the rock, is so solid. It doesn't matter so much because it's Jesus who you've got your faith in. He is good and he is loving. He brings life and he brings brings peace. Your faith will be strong. You'll go through seasons where you're kicking goals and you're trusting Jesus. Your faith will go periods through periods of weakness. But the good news is, so long as our faith is in the Lord Jesus, the one who died for our forgiveness and rose for our assurance and to give us hope, we learn here that he will be faithful. He will love us. He will sustain us. Have faith in Jesus. Whatever your circumstance, wherever you're at in your life right now, the path through comes when you have faith in Jesus. If you're not sure where you stand with Jesus, this is the invitation to put your trust in him. Put your faith in him. Do that today. Because it's Jesus that's the one so clearly that we can have confidence in.
Let's pray. Loving Father, we give you great thanks that you sent Jesus and that here amongst his power and his goodness and his love, Lord, we see modelled to us people having faith in who he is. And Lord, we thank you that he is faithful in what he's promised. And he is solid in what he's done for us. And I pray that you might give us hearts that trust in you. Lord, for those of us that are struggling, Lord, I pray that you might increase our faith. And Lord, cause that to grow inside of us. And Lord, I pray for those of us that are going through a time of strength in our faith that we might have hearts that would serve those around us and be an encouragement. But most of all, we give you praise and glory as our King who out of grace invites us to such a wonderful existence that sustains us as we have faith in you. And we pray for your guidance and leading in the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.